So before we get started, I just want to uh, let you know that at our Christmas Eve services, we take a special offering, and we call it Three Gifts for the King. Now, I think our traditional view is that the, the kings came, there were three kings, they brought three gifts, and uh, Scripture, we don't know. Uh, essentially, we, we think that they probably came after, a while after his birth, and we don't know that there were three, there may have been many, so, so I hope I'm not destroying your Christmas ideals. But we've used that model to, to say, well, we're, we're going to talk about three gifts for Christmas, and we call them here, near, and far. And the here gift that we're going to use a portion of the offering for on Christmas Eve is for uh, children's space, classrooms that we want to finish up. We feel like they need to get finished, so we want to complete the job on those. And those have been kind of left unfinished for at least a couple of years. The, the near is the Dream Center. We want to finish another room there that could be used by our Stepping Stone ministry, but also by the Dream Center, and just make it a kind of a, a nice room that could be used, and it's not really in a state where it can be. The third one is to provide an opportunity for our high school kids to take a, a missions trip and, a third, and, ha, and experience a third world experience in a country in, in uh, Nicaragua. And essentially, it's not to pay their way, but it's to, a, to supplement so that we can take a lot of kids and they can have that experience. And many of you know that if you've been to a third world and had that experience, it is a, a life-transforming experience. So that, that's where those, uh, that offering will go, to the here, near, and far. And uh, just wanted to let you know that. You'll hear more about that. But uh, it's an offering we take every year at uh, Christmas Eve. It's usually a, a real opportunity for us to really give a boost to different things. And so we hope that you will uh, participate in that and join us as we continue the tradition. So I want to ask you a question as we get started. Uh, how do you feel about the holidays? And my guess is that you feel about the holidays a lot in, in direct correlation to where you're at with family. Um, you know, the season from Thanksgiving to Christmas can be it can be some some of the, it can be a really difficult road for many people. It may be that you're not with family, or you're with or you are with your family. You know, so it can go either way. But if you find the holidays hard, you're not alone. There's many people that find uh, the the time through Thanksgiving through uh, Christmas to be a difficult time. And uh, Psychiatrist Gene Rosenbaum estimates that 94% of people suffer from chronic alienation, um, and this is certainly heightened during the holidays. Mother Teresa says something. I thought it was it it it, uh, it really hits to the heart of the matter. She says the worst disease in today's world is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, or being deserted and alone. And I think those feelings for many people kind of come to the surface. And we feel, even though we may be with people, that we feel alone. And uh, Ralph Osborne, he's an executive director of Faith That Works, he says, The search for community is our culture's deepest longing and the Christian's faith's greatest promise. And I think he's right there, and that's essentially where I want to go with the message this morning. I want to show how the community of Christ provides 
the, the cure or at least the help for the loneliness that we often feel during the holidays and during different times. You know, the Bible sees the family as the context for community. Do you, you know, God created us for community. In fact, even when you think of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, they are in community. They have always been in community. And they are co-eternal and co-equal. And they uh, communicate with each other. And in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 18, when God was creating man, He said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so we were created for community. We are, as individuals, we're not created for isolation, but we're created for community because we're created in the image of God. Even Jesus, as we look at the birth of Jesus, He was placed within a family. Mary and Joseph, right? Now, this means that there's a need within all of us to relate to others, to be part of a group. And I think this is generally the purpose of the family. Now, I know some of you are already at the place where you say, well, wait a minute, time out. My family and I don't get along real well. We have a dysfunctional family. I don't know who my parents are. I, you know, I mean, it, when you talk about family, you know, that, that's not good. Uh, there are some of you that say, you know what, I get along with my family. We love each other. It's a great time. We look forward to the holidays. And I get that. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people. But there are a lot of people that would say, you know what, my, my physical family is either not there or I, it's not good. It's not good. And I just want to let you know that uh, Jesus gets that. He understands what it is to be part of a family that maybe doesn't get you. That, that, that you I mean, this is, this is kind of interesting. Uh, we live in a fallen world. And God's initial design was for the family to be the place where community could take place healthy communication and healthy community. But even the first family, look at how the first family played out. Adam and Eve have two boys, right? And what happens? Well, Cain murdered his brother Abel. Though the perfect family was destroyed right from the beginning. And uh, unfortunately, that has played out many times over. But the birth of Jesus brought a new hope to relationships, and specifically it brought a new hope to the family. And that's what we want to talk about. But even Jesus and his family struggled. Jesus is, uh, and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 3 if you want to turn there. But in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is going around and he's doing things that a son of a carpenter wasn't, wasn't supposed to do. He's gathering disciples to follow him. And he's not even a rabbi. I mean... A rabbi, uh, uh, to become a, a rabbi, you were a student of a rabbi. And there were different schools of rabbi theory, and you would follow a rabbi. And ultimately, that's, that's the way you did it. And Jesus didn't follow a rabbi. He wasn't of this school or this school or this school. But he began to get followers around him. People started following him. His disciples, and he called some disciples. And... Let me just be clear. He was an embarrassment to his family. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus went home, and a crowd gathered again, and so they could, they could not even eat. In other words, the crowd was so big, they couldn't even sit down and eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. 
okay? Now, I don't know what role you played in your family, whether you were the embarrassment or whether you're the shining star. Uh, I'm sure all families have that. Mother, you know, loved you. Mom and dad loved you the, the best or they favored you or the baby child got all the breaks and I get all that. Uh, but Mark is essentially showing Jesus' popularity. Jesus is going around and he's gathering disciples. He's casting out demons. He's healing people from sicknesses. And, he, he, and, and all this is going on. And Jesus' family shows up and they hear about his exploits and they determine to get him out of there and to pull him in and to put him back in the carpenter's shop. And, you know, I'm taking liberty here. And to shut him down because he's becoming an embarrassment to them. And they think he's absolutely out of his mind. Now, they, drew, they went uh, quite a ways, and they were clearly worried. Uh, in John chapter 7, it says this in verse 5, Even his own brothers did not believe him. So at this point, he had uh, brothers who thought he was nuts. And then he makes an incredible statement, and I want to pick that up, and, and this is where we want to focus a little bit in the, this morning, is uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 31. So his mother and brothers come, and they're standing outside, and they said, sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Well, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. And you picture him going like this with his hands and just expressing that to the crowd sitting around him. For whoever does the will of, my, uh, of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, some of you, by the way, have been raised uh, in a different tradition, a Catholic tradition or some other tradition. But you didn't even know that Jesus had brothers or sisters because he had both. And you weren't sure about that. And, uh, I mean, but here's the thing. I was actually uh, reading a little bit on the Internet this week, and I was reading a, a, a Catholic site a blog of some sort, and, and this is a teaching in a, a certain part of the Catholic Church, not completely through the Catholic Church, but part of it, that Mary was a perpetual virgin. She had no f- children, so Jesus had no brothers or sisters. The thing about it, and it's interesting because you go to a text like this and they were discussing this and they were trying to explain it away and says, no, that's just friends or very close acquaintances. But here's the thing. When you read the passage, one of the interpretation, one of the ways you interpret Scripture is you say the most natural, the most normal way is probably the right way to read it. So if you have to make a text say something that it doesn't appear to say from the beginning, it seems like you're manipulating the text. As I just read this text, if you heard this and read it yourself, you would say, Jesus had a mother and Jesus had brothers. He had a family. And that's what we believe. Because all through Scripture, it's very clear that that's true. Now, so you quickly see that Jesus had a family, but he had a family where he was not seen as the golden boy. He was seen as quite out of his mind. I don't know if Mary knew what to make of it. 
we're not really told. We're told at one point that Mary's seeing things. She's getting a glimpse of him and she treasures these things in her heart. Even at the cross, she's standing there wondering what's going on. Uh, when the tomb is empty, Mary's there and thinks immediately that somebody has stolen the body, not understanding. So it's understandable. Uh, Jesus is, now, it seems like Jesus is pretty stern here with his words. You know, he doesn't, doesn't even give his family the time of day. He doesn't say, oh, mom, brothers, come on up. He just kind of says, you know what, let me tell you who my brothers and who my mother and who my sisters are. It's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Now, he's making a pretty important thing. He's not dismissing or disrespecting his physical mother and his siblings. Uh, What he is saying is that there is a family bond among Christians that is even stronger than physical ties. So Jesus is being pursued by his family, and essentially what they're trying to do is they're trying to stop him. They want to shut him down because what he's doing is an embarrassment to them. And he basically says, I'm on a mission And my ties to my family are physical ties, but they will not stop me from my mission to God. And and if you understand that the bond that I have to my Father in Heaven and the mission that I have is greater than any bond I would have to my physical family. And what he's saying is not only is that true for me, it's true for every one of you that are my followers. Jesus said in Mark 10:45, "The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life a ransom for many." And those who do God's will are Jesus' true family. And this spiritual family was even more important than his physical family. He is saying that there is a new structure in family relationships. That's what he's saying in this passage. He's saying there's a new structure. He's saying that when you come to Jesus and you call upon him and you invite Jesus into your life and you give your life to him, what happens is there's a transformation. You are now adopted into a new family. And and we call God our Father. And we are brothers and sisters in the faith. We now have a connection and a relationship to one another that goes even deeper than any family relationships that we have, physical family relationships we have. And it's quite an outstanding and incredible concept. Jesus is taking the picture of the family and saying, whether you know it or not, there is a spiritual family that you are connected to when you connect to me. When you give your life to me, you become a part of something much bigger than yourself. And so the idea they want you to understand this weekend is this. When we come to Jesus by faith, we become part of His new family. And there are implications. There are implications to coming to Jesus. The first one is that we're connected to others on a new spiritual level. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, Paul says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And essentially what Paul is saying here is that we become the children of God and that we're all part of His family. God, There's a number of pictures the Scripture uses for those who are followers of Christ. They're called the church. They're called the, the family. They're, they're called a building. And there's a lot of different... So the picture here is that we're part of a family, but we have a relationship to one another. We have a commitment to one another. Now, I have... Uh, and, and here's how this plays out. 
practically speaking. I have uh, five brothers, and I'm kind of in the middle, okay? Uh, I'm the third oldest, and uh, two, uh, two of my other brothers are Christians, okay? And three of my brothers are not at this point. Now, I, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I don't have really super close relationships with my brothers. We've kind of gone apart. We see each other from time to time and talk to each other, but not very closely. But the, the brothers that, that know Jesus and have called upon Jesus, I have a special bond with them. They get me, and I get them. They know, they, they have a different set of values. They, they look at Jesus in a different way. They have a hope that's similar to mine. They have a, a, a faith that's similar to mine. My other three brothers, when I'm talking with them who don't know Jesus, don't get it. It's like we're on a different wavelength. So even though I have five brothers who are my physical brothers, I'm in a different relationship with these brothers who know Jesus. And I will say this. I have brothers in Christ that I'm much closer with than my physical brothers. It's just That's just the way it is. Now, I don't think, I think most of you would, some of you would say, I'm the only Christian in my family. And my family thinks I'm absolutely out of my mind. I've had people come to me who are between 35 and 55 and they say, how do I tell my parents that I'm no longer going to their church? <laughs> if I tell them that I'm going to hope or if I tell them that I, I'm following Christ, they're going to think I'm nuts. They already do think I'm nuts. And you go, what's going on here? Their blood, their relatives, how could that happen? The answer is, when you become part of the kingdom of God and when you become part of His family, there's a new spiritual relationship. And you know what? I can go anywhere in the world and I can meet another Christian and we immediately have a common bond because of what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying there is, there's this new relationship going on when you come to know Jesus. It's different than any, any physical bond that you have with your brothers or sisters. Now, some of you have the best of both worlds. You have a really close physical family. I mean, you, you're siblings and you're close and you're very, you talk with one another. And you're all followers of Jesus. You have the best of both worlds. But many of us come from either broken families or we have families where we don't talk or we have fam- and and you 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 say, you know, my closest friends are not my family, it's my f- people that know Jesus. There's just a different bond there. And so what I'm saying is that we, we have new relationships, we have new brothers and sisters. And anyone who has bowed their knees to Jesus, we are joined at the cross and we have a common bond. Here's the second, second implication. We're responsible for those within the faith. John says this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, A new commandment that I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you also, or you must, love one another. And we get that. Jesus says the, the two greatest commands are love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, we get that. But then, then in, in Galatians 6, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, 
Wherever, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying, yes, love everyone, but you ought to especially have this common connection and this concern for those who are followers of Christ, just as you are. There's this, there's a, you know, it's hard for me to even explain, but you know what I'm talking about. When you know Christ and you know another person knows Christ and loves God and loves Jesus like you do, you have a common bond with them. There's, there's something that you don't even have to know much about their past or where they're at, but you know that you can kind of get a grasp on where they're at because you know they have the same spirit within them that you have within yourself. So Jesus and Paul are showing us that we have a duty to love and serve others, especially those within this new spiritual family. So if you're a Christian, you have a family to love and a family to love you. That's the thing. And that's where it comes in during these times. You understand that whether you feel isolated, there is a family of God. You are part of something bigger that is there to support you and you are there to support it. Now, we're not always good at that. But as we grow in our walk, we're able to see our role in, our, in this new family as brothers and sisters. And we have a responsibility to one another. Here's the third implication. That we're connecting to something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus taught this principle over and over. In Luke chapter 14, 26, He was talking about what it meant to be a follower, one of His followers. And He was essentially saying is this is a new degree of, of, of uh, loyalty, of connection, of, of discipline. Uh, you, you're going to have to overlook these former relationships. These, in essentially, what's going on here? So Jesus' family comes to him, and they're ready to shut him down. And he basically says, you know, I love my mom, I love my siblings, but the bottom line is I love my God. I love my Father in heaven more. And, and, and you can't be the priority in my life. You can't be. And so there are times where Jesus is dealing with his family and his mother, and he's essentially saying, you are not number one in my life. You're not the priority in my life. And it sounds like he's coming across harsh. But notice what he says in Luke 14, 26. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everything else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciples. And some of you are sitting there going, great, and get a reason to hate my brother's and sisters, and that came natural to me. <laughs> no, that's not kind of what he's saying. What he's essentially saying is he's not saying, okay, now, for 2015, I want you to really go out and be a hater. You know, especially your family. Hate your family, you know. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you have to be, there's a higher commitment and this commitment has to take such preeminence that it almost looks like you hate your family, that you overlook your family because you look to me and you look to this new relationship. In other words, what Jesus is saying is there can be no greater loyalty in your life than Jesus and to the church, to His family. Look at uh, Luke 9.59. He says to another, and this is where people are coming to Him and saying, hey, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says this. He says, uh, another one said... Uh, to another one, Jesus said, follow me. 
But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so here again is this, this call to discipleship. That Jesus said, I'm calling you to something bigger. And he says, well, I just want to go bury my dad. Now, we don't have time to go into the whole implications of what's being said here. But essentially what Jesus is saying is, you cannot put your human relationships above the divine connection you have. And, and that has to take preeminence. Jesus is Lord and He commands our undistracted loyalty, but He's also placed us within a family to love and to be loved by. Now, our culture oftentimes drives us to isolation, but the Gospel compels us and calls us to community. And I hope that you will understand that community is such a big thing and that, that, this, that what Jesus did when He was born on earth, He, is, he demonstrated the essence of what it means to be community. He taught that though I'm placed in a human community, a family, there's something bigger that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a new family and a new community. It's going to be bigger than your physical family. And it's going to essentially replace that. I mean, essentially, Jesus gets to the point where he says, he's asked, will there be marriage in, in heaven? You know? And he basically says, you're not understanding this new, the new relationship, this new community of what's coming out. Here's the fourth implication. We are experiencing what relationships will be like in heaven. One of the points often missed by many Christians is that we can experience heaven here and now. Some people, and, and maybe you're one of them, that you say, well, one day we'll go to be with God in heaven. And that's true. And, but, but here's the thing. When I read the Scripture, when I read my Bible, it gives me the impression, not just the impression, it gives me clear teaching that we can experience heaven here and now. We can experience the presence of God here and now. We can experience uh, good relationships here and now. We can experience joy even though our circumstances are struggling here and now. We can experience hope here and now. And, and so this isn't something we have to wait for. This is something that Jesus promises us for now. And one of the ways we can experience heaven is through these new relationships because we now have, we're living under the implications of the gospel. Heaven relationships will be much better. Now, uh, even the best relationships have problems, right? Don't they? Uh, we, we, we present ourselves in a different light than we really are. We're not completely honest and vulnerable to people. And that's understandable because we've been hurt We've been made fun of. Maybe we've been bullied, so we kind of pull in like a turtle and we don't want to reveal ourselves. And we put up an, a facade of who we are. And some of you, and probably all of us if to a certain extent, would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, playing a, I'm living under a certain facade because if you really knew who I was and I really told you who I was, you would reject me. I want to say that in heaven that will not be the case. But as we grow in our faith and we grow in our confidence to know that we have a God in heaven who loves us and forgives us and knows every dark and dirty thing that we've ever done and says, I still love you and I will never reject you. Now we have the acceptance. Now we have the significance and, and all that we need that we can hold our head up. Not saying we hold our head up because we're perfect or we've arrived, but because we have a God who forgives us and a God who's working on us and a God who's transforming us. So now we can go into relationships and say, not so needy and say, I need you to be this for me. I need you to be this for me. We can go in and say, I'm an imperfect person, but uh, we could grow together in this relationship. So we can kind of 
see pride when it rears its uh, head or anger. Uh, when we have a passive-aggressive behavior, we can uh, deal with that. And we may be honest enough and open enough to have somebody else who is a follower of Christ to call us out on that and say, you know, I see you being a little passive-aggressive here. You, 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 uh, you know, and you go, no, I'm fine. <laughs> no, there it is right there. <laughs> or selfishness or, you know, just all those different things. But when we see who Jesus is and what He's done for us and how we're, connect, how we're connected to one another, we begin to understand how redeemed relationships could and should be. And we catch a glimpse of heaven. And some of you are experiencing those relationships. Some of you have that relationship. And, and you have a friend. You have somebody you're connected with. And they're your brother or sister in the faith. And they're not related to you. But they're connected to you. Now, how do we do that here in a community like this? Well, one of the ways we do it is through uh, trying to get you plugged into smaller venues. Like, this is a venue where it's very unlikely that in a venue like this you're going to meet somebody who is, has a common interest and, and uh, certainly we hope that you, they will have a common love for God and Jesus Christ. But ultimately, it's hard to, to connect in a venue like this. So we say, well, there are smaller venues called small groups and hopefully there will be places where you get to meet new people and connect with new people and they'll get to know your name and they'll know your kids and you'll have that. But within that small group, hopefully, you'll find one or two people that you could say, you know, there's a person that I really want to connect with. There's a person I really want to get to know. And over the years, you'll find that you have a really different relationship. You'll say, I have a close relationship with this person or with these people from this group. And it's different than everyone else in the group, but there's, there's this close relationship that we have. And, and it's, it's uh, they're my brother, they're my sister in the Lord. They know me, and I know them. And at that moment, we're experiencing what Jesus is talking about. He says, you know, who are my brothers and sisters? Well, certainly it's those who do the work of my God and my Father in heaven. But it's those who have the Spirit of God with them. It's those who... who who know who Jesus is and bow their knee to Jesus. And essentially what Jesus has done is, incredibly in these relationships, he's saying, you may have been born into a bummer family. Maybe you don't even know who your family is. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus, relationships are changed forever. And you can experience those dynamic spiritual relationships today. And that's great news. So when you go through the holiday season, you'll say, hey, I really don't have family or I don't want to be with family. I have to be, but I enjoy being with the, this group of people because they know me and they get me and they understand the season. And see, that's what Jesus is talking about. Well, how do you enter into this new spiritual relationship with one another? John speaks of this new relationship and how it comes to us. John chapter 1, verse 12, and he says this, Yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become, what does it say, children of God. And, and he says, this doesn't come because we're born in, of natural descent. We're not born physically into this relationship. That, remember, that's what he said to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was thinking of physical. And he says, no, this is a spiritual rebirth into a spiritual family. It's not of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And essentially what, he, what John is saying here is that we were born physically. 
We've been born into a physical family, but when we're born again, as he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, we're born a second time into a second family. And this second family is a spiritual family. And in that spiritual family, you're going to have, hopefully, and my prayer is that you would have relationships that are incredibly deep and incredibly honest and incredibly powerful and, and, and relationships that, 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 that are there for you when you need a hand, when you need help, when you, and uh, relationships where you can come alongside and love. And I think essentially that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying there's, there's a new kind of relationship that's going to over, overtake the relationship of the physical dynamic that you would have in a family. And you can have that today. Because that's what the relationships are going to be like in heaven. You're going to have spiritual relationships with people. And, and it's going to be incredible. And you can experience those today. And, and so when Jesus being born uh, into a family and understanding what it is like to go in a family where you're not understood, maybe you're not favored, maybe you're kind of rejected, maybe you're seen as an embarrassment, that there's something bigger going on. And when you bow your knee to Jesus and you meet another person who bows their knee to Jesus, there's the potential to have a connection that is beyond anything that we could ever experience. And that's the hope that we have. So if you're feeling kind of left out or lonely at Christmas time and through the holiday season, that's, to, you know, that's part of what many of us feel. But I want to tell you there's a family right around you that can come alongside you and be there for you. So what I want to challenge you to do is make 2015 the year where you say, I'm going to connect myself and I'm going to be part of something smaller so that I can find a friend or maybe be a friend to another person and forge these relationships because we have this common bond that we call Jesus Christ that takes us to a whole new level of relationship. May God help us to develop those deep relationships. I've always said uh, one of the greatest testimonies to what, if this church is doing what it should be doing is that when you are called to maybe leave this community or go to another place, you will say the hardest part is I'm leaving some of my best friends who get me and understand me and know my heart. And I don't know what I'm going to do without them. And that's, to me, the way it ought to be. So I pray that you would pursue those relationships this next year if you don't have them and help let us help you pursue them and we will and uh, as we do that you'll go to a, a new place in your relationships let's stand together let's pray so father thank you for jesus thank you for this uh, new standard this new um this new way of relationships that is on a whole new level. And, and many of us, Father, can relate when we think of friends that we have who know Jesus, that we're, we have such a close and dynamic relationship with them that is beyond physical ties because we're not related physically. But they're our brothers, they're our sisters. They know us, they love us, and we love them. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be those relationships to others and, and to find those relationships. And if we don't, that we would make the effort to connect and to love and, 
thank you, Father, that you place us not on a doorstep in an orphanage, but you placed us in a family, a new family. May this family uh, follow Paul's words, love others, but especially look out in love for those within the body of faith of Christ. And may that be an incredible testimony to the world. And most of all, may it be a way for us to connect to our spiritual family and to experience heaven on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.